Hello, everyone, and welcome to the YJBM Science News Podcast, where we discuss the most recent science news from across the Yale community. I'm Sam, a first-year MPH student from the Department of Health Policy. And I'm Mara, a second-year PhD student in microbiology. Well, welcome back, everyone. We're excited to get started this week. Um, just a couple of articles this time. Uh, yeah, but they're good quality, so I'm sure you'll be interested. Yeah, it's been a pretty busy week, you all, and I'm sure the hustle is going to continue. So we're just here to bring you a couple more interesting pieces of research. Yeah, we hope you enjoy. So start us off today, Amara. What do you have for us? Well, I have this study that is about allergy persistence. Because you know how allergies can develop in small kids. In fact, it's pretty popular for them to do so. And sometimes they disappear into when you adult. But sometimes allergies that are very consequential, let's say peanut allergy or say shellfish allergy, they can continue to adult food and simply persist. So researchers from Yale, in collaboration with researchers from Mount Sinai, released some immunological studies related to this issue. So what is the current understanding of the immune mechanisms behind the allergies? So currently what we know is that allergic reactions are caused by our antibodies, which are, how do you say it, agents of the immune system in our bodies that sometimes recognize the allergens. So this particular type of antibodies is called IgE. They're mostly implicated in different allergic reactions. This is usually what measures the different tests for allergies, right? So when they see and recognize an antigen, let's say a particle of peanut or something else they're reacting to, um, they attach to it and then the other side of the antibody will attach to different immune cell that would release all kinds of inflammatory responses, which is what we see symptomatically, right? But the problem here is that those IgEs, they're produced by different type of cells called B cells. But out of all the B cells that are in our organisms, a very, very small amount of them are able to make IgEs. Most of them make, let's say, IgGs, the ones that respond to infections, the ones we're mostly familiar with, right? So researchers have been wondering, where do all the IgEs come from? Because it seems like they're coming out of nowhere. And uh, this is really the question they wanted to ask here. Okay, and how did researchers approach the problem then? So this particular research was really observational. They weren't doing any kind of changes, but they took a cohort of kids with peanut allergies and without peanut allergies. So we're talking about like pediatric cases. Um, and they did a lot of analysis of different populations of B cells. Um, and what they found is that sometimes the B cells that can produce IgGs, they can switch to producing IgEs at some later time point. So those are going to be the same cells with some specific receptors on the surface. Uh, in this case, CD23, I think was the one that they mentioned as well. Um, they're going to re start responding to the allergens. And um, they also found out that those types of B cells that are responding to certain allergens, um, people with them are more likely to like hold on to their allergies as they proceed into adulthood. Oh, okay. So those types of people couldn't, for example, like grow out of their allergy then? It seems that way. I can imagine there are a lot of limitations to this study because um, this is the first time something like this has been shown. Mm -hmm. And um, it's actually been a group of two studies in collaboration with other people as well that were published in this journal. Um, 
But it seems really interesting to me because, like, we're looking into those different subpopulations of immune cells that we would think are pretty well known. Um, at least <laughs> I know I had to memorize a lot of them during my classes. Um, and we're going into, like, deeper and deeper to, like, single cell level understanding of what each subpopulation is primed to do, that everything has its own function. That's crazy. So what would be the impact of this finding? Well, besides just from scientific standpoint, right, how fascinating it is. Um, in the publication itself, they noted that maybe it will allow to develop some sort of therapies in the future that perhaps would only target those cells. Because um, imagine, we, we do have treatments against allergies, right? We have antihistamines, we have epipens, um, but they do not target the, the cause of the allergy itself. They're very symptomatic, they're post-exposure. So the question becomes here, can we potentially develop some kind of therapies that would get rid of allergy altogether? Um, I think it's a little bit early to talk about that um, because I'm not an immunologist, but as I can imagine, getting rid of a whole subset of B cells would not really be productive and can be harmful potentially. But then it lays down some beginner steps to uh, targeting this kind of problem. Yeah, yeah. No, that's actually really cool. I, as someone whose brother has a fairly severe um, nut allergy, it's really interesting to hear about how um, just the science around this could evolve and maybe technology could bring about the, you know, a change for him that he wouldn't need to bring an EpiPen everywhere he goes. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> that would be awesome. Okay, Sam, on that note, what is your study about? So this study was led by a Yale research team and looked into whether the phenomena of growing and flowering in plants, which can occur during separate seasons based on photoperiodic cues, are controlled by separate molecular mechanisms within plants. Ooh, we're talking about plants. Haven't yeah. really done that, even though we're technically not just health, we're also biology and science. I know, but I am not a botanist. <laughs> Neither am I. So I was pretty excited to read this research, to be honest, because, um, yeah, we don't talk about plants enough, even though we deal with them every day. <laughs> yeah, I love to eat plants, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so tell me, um, what exactly do they find? So basically, the researchers hypothesize that because previous works show a link between flowering times and photoperiod, which can be manipulated using, you know, multiple day lengths, for example, work could also be done to explore the involvement of genes and other measurement systems which participate in photoperiodic growth. So at the end of this, the point could be that there is a completely different mechanism for growth than there is for seasonal flowering. Um, so... As for the study, to connect, conduct the study, the researchers identified the gene required for plants to produce myo-inositol, which, according to the paper, is a sugar important to the cellular processes that control plant growth. And what they found is that in, in the control Arabidopsis thaliana plants, I don't know if I said that right, um, myo-inositol expression was induced only during long days, not short days. But then also in the mutant versions of the plant, growth defects were only apparent in long days, not short days. So that really shows the impact of the length of the day, the photoperiodic um, length on, you know, expression of this sugar. So, um, yeah, this showed the importance of the photoperiodic uh, length in plant growth. However, this distinction was not the case when examining the effects on flowering. So... When looking at the impact of the photoperiodic length 
on this other process, it, it didn't seem like there was an association. So as a result, the researchers were able to conclude that, quote, photoperiodic flowering and growth are genetically separable and that the photoperiod measurement system governing flowering is not controlling photoperiodic growth. Interesting. So what do you think that means for our understanding of plant growth and flowering? Essentially, what they find in the study is that you can measure two different, that plants can measure two different photoperiods in natural day cycles, which allows them to independently coordinate seasonal development, developmental processes. This is so cool and so complex, really. But what fascinates me the most is that I'm surprised we did not know that yet. Because it seems like it's such an essential process for, like, even for, for agricultural purposes to know why plants flower and when. Or like the same for growth, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And I know I was joking earlier when I was like, yeah, I love plants. I like to eat plants. But... I feel as though, considering our long history of, yes, eating plants, we should know how this stuff works. And um, we were discussing this offline, but, you know, maybe this is part of why we're so fascinated by, you know, GMOs and synthetic foods is that we have such a little understanding, such a poor understanding of the natural processes in growing plants and growing our food that we're grasping for the unnatural because we don't feel like we have control or understanding of what's going on in real life yeah well hopefully again as we pretty much finish every single episode more research is needed ah always always yeah no i i'm hopeful to see maybe more like plant-related research mm-hmm. because again food crisis stuff like that climate change again uh, that's another thing i was thinking about when reading this research because it directly relates to climactic uh, cues for plants mm-hmm. i don't know how it's going to be impacted by climate changes yeah probably like the length out. of the day and everything and yeah. the, the amount of sunlight being directed towards plants depending on the season that is really interesting you are so right well thank you guys for sticking with us for those two articles this week i think both of them were pretty fascinating yeah. those very different um and we hope to see you next week we hope to see you next week Maybe with two articles, maybe three, maybe four. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But thank you so much for listening, and we hope you continue to do so. Bye.